So you've got few, several of our Date Your Maters that are back Yay! with us, and we had an incredible time um, last weekend up in Kansas City, and if you have never had a chance to, to uh, go on this, you, um, we're going to be uh, showing you some of the hands of those uh, again in the future that are that are kind of regulars that have been going, had that experience, and you can just ask them, and we just would love to see you um, at that experience um, next year. We do this every year. Um, we're continuing our, our series on life together, and I think it's very pertinent that we're doing this at this time where we're blending, again, our lives together as we kind of bring the, the Tulsa campus into this expression here over the next several weeks, and I think there's something about us just continuing to move towards each other that is significant. I think the other reason this is so important is because we don't do this real well naturally. We tend to separate ourselves from one another. We talked a couple weeks ago about even architecturally and in the world how homes are being designed differently. That what used to be this front porch experience that families would sit out on the front porch and wave to a neighbor and look for a neighbor to come by and kind of this natural community that took place in our neighborhoods. Uh, we've kind of moved away from that to these kind of backyard retreat experiences, which I've been working on because we have a wedding coming up this next weekend, and I've been building a patio. And so my hands really ache right now because I've been carrying <laughs> pavers and stuff. But uh, And it's behind privacy fence, and, you know, it's a very private place. I like it, and I'm not saying it's evil because I'm building one, but... Uh, um, but we tend to kind of separate ourselves a little bit uh, from one another. You know, it, I think it was interesting how the thunder kind of unified our, our state, didn't it? Um, and we will come back, by the way, okay? So it's, it's, we'll be there. It'll be all right. Uh, it's a good, you know, got a learning experience, got to go through a little pain. Um, so just, just hang in there. But before this, wasn't it interesting that our state was kind of polarized? It was kind of a split state over, because we kind of, circled around college football teams. And have you ever talked to people that are really passionate about their college team here in Oklahoma? They say some really bad things about the other school. Have you ever heard that? Um, Christian folks, you know. And, um, but we tend to kind of separate ourselves. We're in a political season. And so we hear a lot of stuff right now. And usually, uh, it seems like that if people want to get elected, what kind of where they go is, I need to demonize the other side, because there cannot be one single good thing about the other perspective. And so I need to talk about how evil that is, and so you'll vote for me, because I have the right answers, right? And, and you, wouldn't, you would be surprised at how much discussion there is behind the scenes on what coffee we're going to use. Uh, for the blend here, when we bring the other campus over here. I, I'm, I'm talking some passion here, okay, <laughs> about whether it's the Tulsa campus coffee or whether it's the Jinx campus coffee. Man, I'm going, really? That's really that important? Okay. So we've... We have it resolved. We are going to have both. Yeah. So you guys yeah. can all take deep breaths because yeah. there will be a variety of coffee offered. Yes. Like, wow, we're just an opinionated group of folks, aren't we? I mean, just <laughs> we humans. Churches for centuries have disconnected from each other over how we take communion, how often we take it, whether we use grape juice and wine. And you notice we do both. Um, 
the, uh, you know, whether it's done on the first Sunday or every Sunday and exactly what time of the service and when it happened. Do you have Sunday school or what is your worship like? Do you have hymnals and organ music that drives the worship or do we have guitar driven words on the screen? I mean, that has separated churches. I mean, there's a lot of passion behind those things. And so we tend to be by human tendency to be ones that separate from each other. You've heard us talk about the reality that most of us, by a certain age, I don't know, I think I thought this probably by 13, but uh, that I had the world pretty well figured out. The way that I saw the world was right. And now, as long as you agreed with me, then you are brilliant. You're a very bright person, and I'd love to hang out with you. But the moment you disagree with me, well, I know I'm right. You're different. Well, only logical, right? Well, you must be wrong. And how do I help you step into the light? And again, that just tends to be our human experience. But the Christian story is totally different than that. Everything about the Christian story talks about unity. It talks about drawing together, building our lives together, this idea of oneness, even in this vast body of Christ where everybody has different perspectives. And so how do we do this? It is not easily done. I think that's why Scripture has to speak to it so much, is because um, God knows that this is something that we kind of push back against. And, and so, what does this look like? How do we find this place of unity? Let's begin by taking a look at the prayer that Jesus prayed for us in John seventeen twenty. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The world is looking at us to see what our families are like, what our marriages are like, how we do within a church body to see is there power in this relationship with Jesus? Is there love in this relationship with Jesus? And so our unity makes an impact not only on us, but on the world. Paul, of course, a great ambassador of the church as he was traveling through the kingdom at the time and, and stopping and planning churches. And, and then the letters that we see that he wrote are basically his letters back to these churches saying, this is what it looks like to be part of the body. And, and you see an incredible amount of, of influence from him on drawing our lives together, blending, merging, becoming one. And so, so how does that happen? Uh, it talks about in Philippians, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. I don't know about you, but that is not easy to do. I tell folks, if you get people equal to you, you're doing really well. Because we are by nature pretty self-centered folks, aren't we? We think mostly about ourselves. And so to get somebody of that we're with, of, to, to treat them with Equal value is huge. But now to consider them as more valuable, where they are more important than we are, I believe that only happens by the 
power of the Spirit in our lives. It says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Ephesians 4, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to have a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every this isn't going to be something that's going to just happen naturally and easy, easily. Make every effort. Put all of your influence into this to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so we're going to talk today about how do we do this. We have different opinions from everyone around us, and yet we're called to be in unity and to walk together. How do we resolve differences that we have with people? Many of us are passionate about different things. How do we say we're going to unify, we're going to link arms, and find a solution that works for everybody so that we can walk in unity? Most of us have one of three ways that we resolve conflict. It's what people have done from the beginning of time. It doesn't work. It never will work. But we all do it anyway. The first style is some of us are passive. The passive person just swallows everything. They really want it to be peaceful. They want everybody to get along. And so I'm just not going to say anything. I'll just kind of put up with it and put up with it and put up with it. They stuff a lot of their emotions. They would rather lose in a situation than create any kind of conflict. And so oftentimes they don't get their own needs met or they don't achieve their goals because it's just not worth the fight. I would rather give in rather than uh, have any more conflict. Oftentimes, these people wake up, always, they wake up at some point, and they're just not happy. Their needs have not been met. They've lived with this idea of, if I'm nice enough and I go along with everything that you want, eventually you're going to treat me nice. But generally, that doesn't happen. So they end up frustrated and dissatisfied at some point. Now, these different ways of doing things, again, we've seen it since the beginning of time, and it kind of goes on a continuum. Um, so we've got the passive people on this end. Well, the opposite end of that is aggressive people. Now, aggressive people don't stuff anything. These people are bluntly honest. They will tell you exactly what they think and feel. Any of you that one or around that one? Um, not only will they tell you what they think and feel, but they would be more than happy to tell you what you should think and feel. Um, losing is not in their vocabulary. They are going to win the argument. Peace is not as important as proving their point. Because I can show you why my perspective is right. Now, these people tend towards control. So we've got kind of people that stuff it, then we've got people that tend towards control. Now, the controllers look like they're a much stronger personality, don't they? But the reality is they have the same deep-seated need that the passive person does. They desperately need you to treat them a certain way for them to be happy. But they're not going to just hope it happens and, and, and hope that one of these days they'll be treated a certain way. They're going to make sure it happens. They're going to tell you exactly what, you're, what you need to do to make them happy. And if you don't do it, you will get in big trouble. And they will stay on you until you get it right. And so we see these opposites here. Uh, and by the way, God is not surprised that we have conflict. Conflict is inevitable in human relationships. He designed each one so uniquely different and different perspectives that it's not like the first time we had conflict, he's going, oh my gosh, how did this happen? How do these people disagree with each other? 
Matter of fact, he expects it. But he had a whole different way in mind of us doing it. And these ways that we tend to do it, that we, that we learn in the movies and television from family systems, uh, unfortunately, are not his way. And so we've got those two so far. The third type is the passive-aggressive. There's two different forms of the passive-aggressive. The first type is the Popeye response. That's where you stuff it, you stuff it, you stuff it, you take it. And then do you remember Popeye? He put up with it, he put up with it, he put up with it. And then, I've had enough, I can't stand no more. And he sucks the spinach through his pipe and he gets these big muscles and he goes and beats everybody up and gets olive oil back. Remember that one? Yes. We see that oftentimes with moms. Moms will go, okay, I can handle that. Oh, I can deal with that. Okay, yeah, I can deal with that. Oh, you need me to do that for you. Okay, all righty. And then you throw your coat on the couch, and it's... <laughs> sweet mom turns into the monster, and everybody's like, what happened? That's mom's response to, I've had enough, I can't stand no more. It's not the coat on the couch. It's that I had to make lunch for you, and how many times have I asked you to take out the trash, and you don't take out the trash, and you parked your car too close to mine. I mean, there's all those things that build up. The problem is it makes us look irrational because other people don't see all those buildups. They just see you getting carried away over the coat on the couch. So what happens in most passive-aggressive people is after they've had this blow-up, then they settle back down, stuff it all back in, and add some more things until time comes, and then they blow up again. Some of you have seen other moms that are like that? Yeah. There's another version, none of us, because we all do it right. Um, wet towels on the floor. <laughs> um, never mind. There's another kind of passive-aggressive that is the underground. The underground passive-aggressive is... I'm not going to take responsibility for it, so I'm just going to say things in like a sarcastic way and see if you get it. So, I, oh, too bad you didn't have time to put all your dishes in the dishwasher. And then if somebody goes, oh, what? Oh, I was just kidding. No, it's fine. I'm not going to take responsibility for my feelings because then you might get mad at me and I don't want to have conflict. Passive-aggressive can also be, I'm just not going to get around to doing those things that you wanted me to do. It's my kind of secret way of punishing, but I'm not going to do it overtly. None of these ways make us happy, and none of them achieve our goals of being unified and working together as a team. And yet as humans, we all naturally tend to do one of them. And so we need to find a healthier way so that we can resolve conflict and we can get that unity of working together. This is what makes the world go around. This is, again, we've learned it. We do different ones of these based on personality, based on life experience, based on what the tel television does and the movies. And we've all picked these kinds of things up. Now, we were going to have all the passive people move over here and all the aggressive people. <laughs> we decided not to do that this morning. Um, but can we put ourselves in one of those camps? Can we all kind of be honest enough to say, that I probably do one of those that's not real healthy? Um, the only reason I ask for that is there's no judgment in this, but if we want to change behavior, we have to take ownership. I have to take ownership that, yeah, I probably do that, and I need to do something different. But the way you change behavior is not to criticize unhealthy behavior, but it's to practice new behavior. So what's another way of doing it? 
Again, God's not surprised that we have conflict. So this idea that, that we just should all get along, this idea in marriage that we should, you know, if you just marry right, then you'll never have conflict is crazy. It's ludicrous. We are going in human relationships. You're going to have conflict, but what's a way that leads us to unity? There is a biblical perspective here that gives us an opportunity to begin to unify our lives together. Now, we're going to talk about this fourth style, and then we're going to kind of lay out a biblical framework for it. We call it assertive. What assertive looks like, we just want you to listen for these elements um, through the scriptures. We kind of go through the story here. Uh, the first one is we have to be open. So if you're a stuffer, you've got to stop it. You've got you to care about relationships enough to take the risk to step towards people. Now, people stuff things for good reasons, by the way. Okay, um, generally the last time you brought something up, it didn't go very well. And so we, we're not stupid, all right? So it's just like, ah, I'm not going to go there again. But we have to learn how to take the risk. Now, we're going to show you a biblical pattern that if you'll follow this pattern, it will give you the structure and the security that if I bring it up this way, it actually is going to get the thing solved. It's, they're not going to get all mad at me and throw stones back at me. I'm not going to hurt their feelings. It actually is going to work towards a resolution. So we have to be own, uh, open. But we also have to be honest, but not bluntly honest. Okay? I'm not saying just we got to just tell each other off. Okay? There is a way to be totally open and honest in a way that will not come across critical or judgmental or like you're the teacher or the parent. Because if you come across those ways, you will get, not maybe, you will get fight or flight from the person you're talking to. Either they will shut down and run away from you, or they will throw stones back at you. You've been in those kind of conversations, right? Or just throwing stones at each other. Uh, it doesn't lead us anywhere. So there's a way to be honest with each other in a way that doesn't come across those ways. Then we have to be committed to listening. I've got to put as much energy into hearing your side of the story. Because the whole purpose of unity is that we have to come to a place of common ground. What tends to happen is you've got X and you've got Y, and X spends all of their energy trying to get a Y to, to think like an X. And a Y tries to get the X to be a Y. And it becomes adversarial. That's not in the Christian story. It says we've got to work to come up with Z. We've got to come up with something that blends our lives together. So we've got to be focused on listening and hearing their side of the story. And then finally, we've got to work towards the solution. The purpose of this is what can we come up with? What's, a, what's common ground? What's a place that we can stand together? We're not going to think the same. We're not even going to have the same opinions necessarily. But how do we blend our lives together where we can stand together? That is critical for us in the body of Christ to move forward in strength. If we just keep splitting apart, the world just looks, what in the world is that? Why would I want to be involved in that? How do we come to that place of unity. So there's a place to being united in Christ. We're going to talk about that. I tell couples all the time, God is big enough and creative enough that even though one of you is here and the other one's there, he has a place where there can be unity. We may not see it, but he's big enough. He can show that to us if we continue to work towards that. How can we have agreement so that we can join together? So we're going to look at the scriptural framework, and we're also going to talk about some practical steps. Because, you know, sometimes you can hear the right things, 
but it's hard to really convert that into action. We hear a lot of great things in our lifetime. If we could apply all of those, we would be doing really well. So we're going to look, and because we're counselors, we're going to look at some practical steps that you can actually implement in your life on a day-to-day basis. We're going to talk about the scriptures, and then we're going to go over our issue resolution guidelines that we use as we're working with individuals and couples and families. So the first one is we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort work hard to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Our first guideline is discussion should be held in order to reach a solution, not to gain a victory. There is something within us when we disagree on something, doggone it, I'm going to win. I'm going to make sure you see that my point is the best. That is not going to bring unity, and that's not going to give us a practical solution. So we want to work on how do we find a solution, not how do I prove that you're wrong. And I've even found some of you are going, well, I'm, I, wouldn't, I don't feel like I argue like that. Well, even passive people think they're right. They just don't talk about it. They just go, well, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> I'll just go do whatever I want to do anyway. You know, so we all tend to do that, but we've got to be focused on what works for both of us. The second one is, but everything should be done in a fit and orderly way. One of the, number, one of the killers of, of the ability to try to work together towards solutions is that we can't stay on the topic. We've got to learn how to talk about one thing at a time. What tends to happen is if you've got an issue with me, like, Brent, I thought you were going to do this and take care of this, and, you know, why didn't that happen? Well, there's something in me that just needs to even the score. I don't know what it is. And so it's like, well, well, you didn't do this. If you had done that, maybe I would have done that. And then you come back with, well, but you didn't do this or this. You know, and so we get, any of you had those conversations? You get two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, twelve, you know, all these issues in the middle. It's a waste of oxygen. It will not ever lead to resolution. So we're going to, after we give you this framework, we're going to be giving you three simple steps that if you'll follow these, it will keep you on point. We've got to deal with this issue. We've got to do this in some orderly way. You know when you're in a discussion and your sentences start with, oh, yeah, well, you, it's probably not going in the right direction. <laughs> it's really, just keep that in mind. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. The guideline for this is you cannot refuse a discussion. If it's important to one of you, it's important to the team. It's important to the system. Now, that doesn't mean that I get to call somebody at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, if I'm important to you, you'll discuss this with me right now. We're respectful with people. We'll talk about how to do that. But if we're going to have unity, even if I think it's silly, if it's important to you, I'm going to respect you enough that we can sit down and we can discuss this and we can come to some kind of common agreement. When we were first married, they always said, don't let the sun go down on your anger, you know that scripture? And so we were always taught that you should stay up until you resolved uh, an issue that you had. Well, we found out that we were up till 2 or 3 in the morning. We had lots of issues. Taking hours to discuss things, and Brent still wasn't reasonable. Um, (laughs) No matter how brilliant I am, he wasn't reasonable. And... It was something we could have resolved in 10 minutes the next day. But because we were tired and cranky, it didn't go well. I think what that scripture means is 
don't let a lot of stuff build up. Don't just put things in your pack to carry along and bring it up at some point. Deal with things as they come up. But oftentimes, late at night is the wrong time to talk about something. Don't talk to me if I haven't eaten. <laughs> because you are really irritating if I have not had enough food. So you or have if she's to had caffeine, but we yeah, won't talk about that. Yeah, or caffeine. Yeah, that's why I don't have caffeine, because you guys get really irritating when I have caffeine. <laughs> so look for a time that works. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Um, there's a couple parts to this one. If there's a fact involved, it's our responsibility to get the facts. Um, most of the time, we don't really argue about facts. And we'll talk about that here in a second. But if there is a fact, if we've just, let's say, you know, you've made a, a decision as part of a team in, in a, a church group and, um, and made a decision and you're working on a strategy. Let's say you worked on VBS last year and you thought, okay, we spent X amount of dollars on VBS last year. And the other person sitting there is going, what? We didn't spend that much. You know, it was only this. I'm telling you, we spent at least this. No, there's no way we spend that much. Well, if we keep that conversation going, again, it's a waste. It's, it's because there's a fact involved. We call it the counting office. We, there's a way to find those facts. But that's usually not what we argue about. What we usually argue about is our perspective on a thing. We have a tendency to think that our thoughts are facts. If I think it and it's logical, then it's a fact. And I'm going to try to convince you that you should think the same way. Our thoughts are not facts. 98% plus, we need to realize that what we're dealing with is perspective. It's my opinion. I, I see the world through several filters. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. I have, I have a man filter. I have a personality filter. I have a life experience filter. I, have, I was raised in this church. I had these kinds of experiences. Therefore, I see the world this way. And we, we are in relationship with people that see things differently. And so we have to come to realize that what we're talking about is perspective or opinion and that we've got to work on blending. We've got to work on finding that Z. That is the place of unity. Not trying to convince them to think the way I think. It's not going to happen. This next scripture is very convicting to me. 1 Corinthians 2.11 For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? The guideline is don't assume you know what the other person is thinking. How many times do we just go, well, they did that because of that. Well, you're thinking this because your background and so-and-so and so-and-so. Have you ever had that happen? Like Brent will run in the house and, and he'll throw something down and run to the back, of the, the back of the house or the backyard or whatever. And it's like, why are you mad? He's not mad. He remembers he left a hose running in the backyard and he was running to turn it off. But so oftentimes we'll see somebody do something and we think we know why they did it. You ever had a conversation with your spouse where you go, why are you mad? I'm not mad. Yes, you are. I can tell you're mad over that. No, I'm not. Why are you yelling at me? I'm not yelling. We assume we know something. We have to realize we don't know everything. Now, I tend to be pretty discerning and I tend towards a prophetic gift. And for those of us that have that, it's really hard. Because sometimes we are spot on. But I've learned over time, I'm not always right. Did you get Don't that tell Brent. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure I know. And I have to go, you know what? I am not always going to be right. 
And so I need to listen to other people and find out what they're really thinking and what they're really feeling. Again, it's giving them the respect that they can share their opinion, and I validate that instead of assuming that I know everything and I know why people do what they do. The next one is in Colossians. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The guideline there is no archaeology. We have a tendency to hold stuff, pull it out of the past. Something happened six months ago, we talked about it, and, and there was an apology, and there's been a change of behavior, but I hold that against them. It's not reasonable to pull that out of the hat and use it as ammunition against your partner. We've got to learn how to release. We've got to learn how to release people. Um, now, that's different than something happened six months ago when it was never dealt with and it happened again yesterday. That's not the past. That's still a current unresolved issue. We've got to release one another for freedom. About 10 years ago, I had a client that started this session with, well, my husband in 1944, I thought, oh boy, we got a lot of stuff there. We need to let go of those things and move on and deal with current issues. The next one is, out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. James 3.10. You know, after 30 years of Christian marriage counseling, I've heard about every word you can imagine, and I've seen several combinations of words or heard several combinations of words I didn't even know. Um, <laughs> so I've learned a lot. <laughs> it's not ever healthy or beneficial to call each other names. And I'm not just saying the bad words. We have our own version of things that we say. You are just like your mother. That's labeling. Men, all men do that. Oh, melancholy personalities are so irritating. We have our labels that we put upon each other. We have to allow people to be who they are and not put them in a box with a label. All of us have the capability of growing and changing. And even though I may have this basic personality type, the Holy Spirit is working within me, and I'm growing and changing all the time. We don't want to call people names or put them in any boxes. Along with that, 1 Peter 3.10, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. Our next guideline is no emotional blackmail. Emotional blackmail manipulates people by saying things like, Well, if you are a man of God... If you spend as much time in the Word as I did, good husbands do this. If you were a submissive wife, all of that is saying, you are not good enough, you are a bad person. And that is never a good way to start a conversation. So avoid emotional blackmail where you are manipulating people to get your own way. A couple more of these real quick. Therefore... Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind to not put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. It's probably one of our most important. So I tell people, if you want to guarantee a person will not hear a word you've said in an argument, put, say a bunch of you in your words in the middle of that conversation. You will put them on the defensive so fast they will just totally check out. If I say, you told me yesterday that you were going to get this done. You didn't do it yesterday. You still haven't done it today. You make me so mad because you don't follow through with stuff. Now, if you're breathing, you're going to react to that, aren't you? 
Um, you're going to get defensive. And again, you're going to check out real fast. You're going to hardly even listen anymore because you're going to try to defend yourself. But if I simply changed the you words into I statements and said, yesterday I was told that this was going to happen. Didn't happen yesterday, still hadn't happened today. I woke up really frustrated because this didn't happen. Now, you still know I'm talking to you, but I've changed the focus from you being the problem into the problem is the problem. And I'm telling you this happened, and I'm telling you how it affected me. It leaves room for a response. Oh, my gosh, I totally forgot about that. Or, no, there's been a real misunderstanding. It was la- It's next Saturday is when I can help you, not yesterday. Well, the first way I said that, there was no room for a response. I had judged you, tried you, and hung you because I said, you are bad. You are the problem. We simply change our, our sentences into I statements instead of you statements. Now, that is, it's powerful. It's easier said than done. It'll take some practice. All of this, you have to be proactive. You have to make every effort to make this happen. Last guideline. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and shame, Proverbs 18.13. We talked um, a couple weeks ago about not interrupting people. We have to respect them enough to let them finish what they have to say. And that means no nonverbal interruption. You know, when they're still talking, but you're already thinking about the brilliant response that you have back to show them that they're wrong, or you get distracted and you're off looking at something else, honor one another enough to listen to everything that they have to say and allow them to speak. Okay. Do these seem like they'd be good guidelines? Do you get the sense of this or what the Scripture is saying? Well, will you just promise to always do these? Okay, I think we're done. Uh, it's easier said than done, isn't it? Five minutes and we're going to be done. I want to talk to you. I want to show you a three-step process. If you will follow these three steps, it shows you what assertive looks like, and you will follow every single one of these. I saw some of you writing these down. You don't even have to remember these. But if you get the spirit of this, this will help you move towards unity. The three steps are, first of all, you've got to set it up. You've got to share the problem, and you've got to strive for a solution. Let me show you how that works. Studies tell us that you can tell within the first 90 seconds how a conversation is going to go, whether it's going to go decent or whether it's going to go badly. It only takes 90 seconds. You can tell which direction it's going to go. So setting it up is just getting us moving the right direction. It simply means I'm going to ask you for a time. There's something I need to talk to you about. When would be a good time for you? That's what you would do with the boss. Well, if you're still working there, you would do that with the boss. You don't just barge in their office and start ranting and raving, right? You probably aren't working. You probably don't have a job any longer. Um, so you simply respect them enough to say, I need to, you're respecting yourself, but I'm also respecting you. I need to talk to you. And you set a time. It'll, it'll, significantly change your conversations if you simply take that step to where you're just moving the right direction at the same time. The second one is you share the problem. You share your thoughts and your feelings with with what I just said without saying the words you or yours. How do I rephrase the sentences into I statements? How how do I tell you instead of when you did this, how do I say when I walked in the, the door and said this, or when I walked in the door and saw this instead of you leave your stuff on the, on the floor. Or instead of you, what you said in the staff meeting yesterday, man, you just really, you really embarrassed me in front of everybody. I can't believe you said that. That, that should have been a private thing. Instead of that, wow, I was really thrown by what, what I heard in the staff meeting yesterday. 
really got embarrassed and and if, you know I would have loved to have seen that happen in a different there's just a different way that that comes across and we do this um, hopefully without interruption now I'm gonna I'm gonna show you how to do this with people that don't know the rule that weren't here today <laughs> so if you go to them you just simply say in that second step you say you know there's some stuff I'd like to talk to you about could, could you hear me out for a few minutes and just really I've got some stuff I just need to unload and then I'm gonna I want to really hear what you have to say so you're kind of coaching them and they don't even know the rules now if they interrupt you you can't say well Brent said you can't interrupt me. It's not going to work, right? Uh, you just don't take the bait with that. But you, um, you kind of coach them into that. And you share your heart. And you say what you need to say. But then you have to be committed to listening to their side. You invite them to share their perspective. And then the third step is we, reach for, we move towards the solution. This is the most difficult process, this, um, sequence to going from sharing our perspectives to reach a solution because usually what will happen is that after you've shared your perspective and you've heard theirs you're going to go oh they didn't quite understand i need to explain this some more and have you done that so i go into now explaining more well i've gone now from sharing my perspective and giving information to come up with a solution now i've moved to influence now i'm trying to sell you on my perspective i'm going to i'm trying to show you why my thoughts and feelings are better than your thoughts and feelings which is going to prompt them to want to try to sell you back. And then we start, and the argument starts. It becomes adversarial at that point. Remember, this is not about winning. This is about solving. So, so if you've shared your perspective and heard theirs, you've got to make sure then you say, how about if I, how about if I suggest a solution to this? I'm, I'm going to share something with you. If, if you like this idea, then great, we'll do this. If not, if you could give me your perspective on this. And then maybe that'll work with me. If not, then maybe I can come up with another option and let's reason together. Let's work together towards that. So in essence, you're, you're kind of setting up, you're inviting them, let's negotiate. Let's work towards something that we can find a place of common ground. If you can work towards a place of solution in your families, with your spouse, with, with your bosses, with your employees, in the body of Christ here, if you can move towards each other and work towards resolution, you come up with two very powerful um, end results. The first one is, is you get rid of that negative tension that happens that causes us to want to just pull away and separate ourselves. But we also gain a positive, a sense that, hey, we're collaborating. We have, we've met each other's needs. And so we get this sense of unity, this sense of, hey, we came up with stuff. I can't tell you how many couples I've, that have said to me after they've worked on this, gosh, we came up with a solution that neither one of us would have thought of. It's a better solution. Now, doesn't that sound like God? The creativity that comes in him? But we usually kill that creativity because we're trying to win. We try to put our stakes in the ground. And we're trying to prove who's right and who's wrong. It's deadly. It'll kill a marriage. It'll kill a church. It'll kill the body. Um, yes, would it be easier to just pull away from each other and, well, they said something hurt me, so I'm not going to talk to them again? Or even, or I'm going to go prove to them that they're wrong and I'm right because, you know, they're off? Or even, well, I'm going to just not talk to them because they're, in it, and we just think, well, they're just idiots, you know? And so I'm just not even, it's not even worth talking to them. And again, we just separate. Would it seem like it's easier to do that? Probably, initially. 
but it's a poison. It, it, it's deadly. Um, Jesus challenges us to love people as if our life depended on it. Are we that committed? Are we willing to make the effort to move towards each other? The God of the universe lives in us, so we have all power, all creativity, and all love. We can find solutions that can bring us together so that we can live in unity in Christ. John 13, 34 says, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Let's agree to work together towards unity in all areas of our lives so that the world can see us and know who we follow. They know who we believe in. Love says everybody matters. Um, Even if they have a perspective, even if they like the Tulsa campus coffee. (laughs) Or vice versa. They matter. Even if they have a perspective that you can't see, you can't understand. Everybody matters. Are we willing to make every effort? Make every effort. Pastor David. Good morning, Sanctuary. It's good to see you this morning. My parents um, are not here this morning because the Gungers had a wedding this weekend. Their daughter Elizabeth got married. Yeah. So uh, they are resting from the long weekend. Um, here at Sanctuary, we uh, a lot of times we'll talk about the grand narrative of God, the big story, and how we as individuals have roles that we play within the story of God. And for my wife and I, uh, we're stepping into a, a new chapter as well because um, we came to Sanctuary four years ago, and in that time we had three children. We were busy. And... Uh, and this spring we had some opportunity to be able to travel with my band, The Brilliance, and it was wonderful, great opportunities came about, and uh, from that we just kind of felt a stirring in our soul of transition, we didn't necessarily know what that meant, um, but through prayer and over kind of some time of praying since the spring, um, we just kind of felt like, all right, we're supposed to do music, and what, is that, what does that look like? Um, and so actually we were kind of being called a lot from different churches. And this church in Arizona, in Phoenix, called Mission Community Church, um, wanted us to come in and kind of focus um, on their Sunday nights for doing a thing very similar to what Sanctuary does. It's about a 7,000-member church. But they don't do any liturgy, and they kind of want to start to incorporate that. So they said, well, the brilliance is exactly what we want, um, with also being able to travel and go and do what we love to do. Um, So my wife and I with great joy and also great sadness, are announcing that we're actually going to be leaving this fall and going to Phoenix. Um, And we we cannot tell you how grateful we have been being here at Sanctuary for the past four years and learning and growing and pastoring your kids. We love them so much. Um, But we are headed out west. And so uh, you, you should know that you'll be in good hands uh, there's a process right now of, of finding the next youth pastor. Um, junior high will continue. Colton Barnaby will help out, still in the transition with junior high. But for senior high, we're going to be looking at hiring a new uh, youth guy. So that process has already been started and underway. Um, so be continue to pray for that. Continue to pray for our family. Know that we love you guys so much, and we're so grateful to have been a part of Sanctuary. If you would stand up with me this morning, we're going to say we're sing our doxology together. 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you learn to trust in Him. Amen. If you can, if anyone can help setting up VBS, we need some volunteers. So you can see Sue Harwell right out at the info desk. We need as many hands as possible.